Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Good afternoon, Joel. Howdy, Eric. How are you today, man? I'm well. I'm I'm well. What about you? I think so. Yes, I'm. There is some mild trauma because I watched some of the Senate hearing and the presentation of the January sixth invasion of the Capitol again. And ouch! Right to see some of the things we haven't seen yet. To see the proximity to those who would do violence to others, to those very others that they were hunting. It is. I wasn't even there, and I'm frightened for those humans and for what it yep. says about our community right now. Yes. Well, you start. You started dark. Sorry, it's just what's <laughs> no, happening no, no. in the world. No, I, you, you know what? It, it reminds me. Congregants always, or I, I don't know if you get this, but oftentimes, and this is true outside of religious things, when people apologize for for their emotions, like especially crying, right? Like, I'm sorry, I'm crying. It's like, you, you don't apologize for laughing. Don't apologize for crying. Lovely. It's part of the gamut. Yes. It's part, it's part of the experience. That is so true. I, I'm not sure why, but if somebody brings me something real, that that's how they really feel. That's what's really going on in their life. And that is holy ground. I am so honored for them to be real and authentic with me. And then they'll go, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cry, or I didn't mean to to share all this on you. I'm like, no, that is that is the beauty of being human slash clergy with you. If you are willing to be fully human with me and you'll let me be fully human with you, that is holy ground. Completely. Sometimes, though, if it happens, you know, in aisle six of the grocery store when I'm seeing someone – Maybe I don't want to hear it then. But <laughs> that's <laughs> true, <laughs> right? Both Eric and I, we've had some questions as clergy from those who we call our own or from beyond ourselves of what we believe about life and then death and whatever's next. And so today we're going to be focusing on death and beyond. What what do our faiths and our traditions and our own personal beliefs say about those things? Our scriptures say about those things. What are the myriad of ways that human beings talk about that or try to give comfort to one another uh, or try to dismiss it <laughs> and deflect it so they don't have to think about it? And and what do we feel like are, are faithful and uh, appropriate responses? And what's the width and breadth of all the appropriate responses to that? So what's the answer? <laughs> As if, right? As if. I mean, I'm glad you said what our faiths say and what we say, because I think I may have alluded to this in a previous episode, but it, this is true for many topics in Judaism, but specifically with life after death, there's this interesting thing of not only what do Jews believe, but when do Jews believe it? Because uh, just to go on a, a little bit of a journey through time, the Torah, the five books of Moses, have nothing about life after death 
explicitly. There have been some readings here and there where people tease out something. But from Genesis to Deuteronomy, there is nothing about life after death. Certainly things about burial and mourning, but that's, of course, not, not what we're talking about. And then you get into the rabbinic period with the Talmud, and you have all of these references to olam haba, literally the next world or the world to come, and what you need to do in your life here on earth to merit entering the world to come. And also, um, there's a, there is a counterpart called Gehenna, but to call it heaven and hell is both a disservice to Christianity's conceptions and Judaism's. It's not the same at all. Um, but is Gehenna his- a Hebrew word, Aramaic? I think of it as a Greek word. That's a good question. I, I want to say it's at least written in Hebrew. I mean, in Hebrew letters, but it, it may be a Greek word. Although, yeah, it doesn't appear in the Torah that I, I'm almost certain that that word does not appear in the Torah. I'll check and we'll put it in the show notes if it does. I think of um, Gehenna as a Greek translation of Sheol uh, sometimes. And it's, it would be interesting to know if they are two different Hebrew words slash concepts. And then the right. Greek only pulls forward one of those. And for our, our listeners, one, one of the Psalms that are attributed, of course, traditionally to King David says, do not abandon me to Sheol, which is, a, again, a similar conception here. But this, the, the history of how the theology of life after death has changed is equally as interesting to me as the theology itself, if that makes sense. Because again, it, it appeals to that precept that I think I talked about on last episode, that theology is autobiography. And so it was at a time when Jews were in great distress, um, times of violence, not being able to, to live their own religion, and when they felt a, a great deal of suffering – that this idea of life after death really took form because the idea was, well, this life may not be so great, but just you wait, right? And and it's also a motivator to, quote unquote, behave and follow the mitzvot, follow the laws in this life, because you will be rewarded in the world to come. Now, now that is a very traditional belief. And of course, it's tied in with the Messiah as well. Um, I think we've talked about that and possibly. Um, my personal belief, and then, then I'll, I'll uh, stop rambling. And I think my personal belief is in line with many uh, what I'll call liberal Jews, Jews that belong to reform and conservative synagogues, is, uh, is what Job said, from dust to dust. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that that memories end or love ends or the uh, the lessons and inspiration we learn from our loved ones. So every service in Judaism, almost every service, including tonight, you know, I'll, I'll be celebrating Shabbat in a few hours tonight. My sermon's half written, by the way. Um, we end the service with a prayer called Mourner's Kaddish. And Kaddish comes from the word Kaddosh, which means holy. And this prayer essentially sanctifies God's name. But what we do, and this is true for all Jews, regardless of denomination, is it is a prayer that is meant to honor those who have died, either in this time in years past, the anniversary of a death, 
or there's various time periods for when one is recently deceased. There's a seven-day time period, a 30-day time period, and then an 11-month time period where different rituals happen. But when we say that prayer, it it's meant, or the way I introduce it is we remember the memories of our loved ones and may we live as in their higher moments they lived. May we take the inspirations, the love, the laughter, all the memories, and those continue in our actions. And in that sense, we use this Hebrew phrase very often in Judaism, lador vador. It means from generation to generation. And so in that kind of sense, a person doesn't die. But we probably, my guess, Joel, is that we don't talk about life after death and, you know, the, a sense of resurrection or the soul coming back as much as Christianity. But the truth is, I don't know so much about it. So I'm looking forward to what you say. Let me clarify a few things. You said there are both a what issue and a win issue. So I'm imagining a two-by-two two matrix, and I want to make sure I understand what are in the, the four boxes. Um, the what, I guess, is that there is no resurrection, or there is resurrection uh, of some type, uh, some newness, some new body, some new form of being after death. And the win, I guess, would be instantaneously or oh, no, I meant- way off in the future? What What is the win? Yeah, sorry. I meant the when, and I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it is an important clarification. It's about what Jews have believed at various points in history. So pre-Talmudic times, not really talked about that much. And then, and then there's also not even gradations, but just differences between what that looks like. Um, you know, there's a very, I think when most people, myself included, think of life after death and think about, you know, being reunited with loved ones, it's, it's me. Maybe not in, in this body. <laughs> and of course, what body? Is it when I died? Is it when I was a baby? Is it, but, but it's my essence and I'm able to break bread with my loved ones and see them and laugh about old times and things like that. Um, but there's a whole slew of ideas on that. And um, for a real a wonderful uh, summary and kind of uh, excursus through these ideas, there's a great book with a phenomenal title. It's called The Death of Death. And it was written by Rabbi Neil Gilman. I'll put a, a link in our show notes to it. But it very much talks about that matrix. Lovely. That, so that does help. Uh, for me to begin even – like processing all that you're giving me, which I, I'm seeing all kinds of resonances uh, in both typical American Christian practice, which I, I I tend to be in conflict with, versus my own form of Christianity, and then what I find about the way Jesus talked about it or, or practiced it. Um, I'm still trying to bend mine to look more like his, but I'm not there yet. Uh I think the normal American Christian thinks of it like this. People who are good enough after death are instantly resurrected into a new place. And that is the that is the hope and that is the language of a lot of American Christian communities. 
that isn't the way Jesus talks about it very often. There are hints from Jesus, or from the New, the New Testament anyway, that do suggest that that version of seeing it might be in the grand spectrum. But more the way Jesus talks about it is whatever this heaven thing that you're looking for, it isn't some where else. It is right here and somewhere else. It isn't some time else. It is right now and in the future, in its fulfillment. So he crashes through the sense of American Christianity that makes whatever we we use this word uranos. It's a Greek word. It means heaven or heavens, plural. And we use it to mean life after death. He really meant it to mean that higher level of existence where everything is like the kingdom of God. And he wanted to insist that that kingdom of Godness is real and right now, here. Uh, and he Im- begged us to embrace it here and now, and not to invest your life trying to earn it someday or to get a ticket that gets punched on the heaven train to take you somewhere else, but to see it, live it, be grateful for it, share it here now. And Okay, th- and so it is for people who are living. Yes, very much so. Uh, and and what he would often say is, I mean, he says this, and people take it too literally. He goes, "You have to, in order to really find your life, you got to lose it." Now, he doesn't mean in order to find your heaven life, you have to die to your earthly life. He means you've got to let go of this plan that lets you do whatever you want, or that has shame, or that has guilt, or has so many rules and regs on it, and you have to live right now, understanding God's grace. And sharing that. And when you do, you find yourself in a, a more beautiful life now. And that is the heavenly life now. And you'll you'll start building kingdom community around you right now with God's help. Is that written in a gospel or is that an interpretation, that idea of you have to let go of your life to live life? It's a saying of his, yeah. And it's in multiple gospels. It's in the synoptics. Um it's beautiful. It's very much our our the the theme of Yom Kippur, our holiest day, which which isn't along this line, but just briefly, that the idea that some rabbis and teachers talk about is that in some ways we rehearse our own death in order that we come out on the other side. And the whole goal, one of the goals of the high holidays is to be inscribed in the quote unquote book of life. Beautiful. And there's a whole slew of meanings of that, uh, but and, and, but the the resonance holds. Jesus would often argue with the Pharisees and Sadducees, which uh, the way the Gospels talk about it is the main difference between those two sect of Jewish leaders were whether or not they believed in the resurrection after death, and Jesus was not a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He wasn't on either team, right? He wasn't a partisan when it came to this issue. He was critical of both of them because they were both missing the point. One didn't believe it it happened, and the other believed it happened eventually. Jesus disagreed with both of them. He's, he's like, it happens now. It's right now. Um, but then there's this other hard Christian belief, and this is why I ask you about when. Um, 
the typical Christian, American Christian belief is that people are resurrected immediately upon their death, that their body dies, but their soul is never dies and lives on and is resurrected into the heavens. Um, Paul, a, a Jewish Pharisee himself, really struggled with Jesus's death and resurrection for several reasons. Because there was a delay and because he had a body. And Paul was like, now, wait a minute. I, I didn't think that there would be a delay. Did his soul die too? And I really wasn't even sure there would be a body, but Jesus has got a body and people got to touch it and stick their hand in his side and touch the hole in his, you know, in his hands and feet and, Oh, it's so Paul freaked out, and he wrote a lot of letters trying to understand death, resurrection, um, and he grasped for words over and over again. And he talked about a new body, and a, what he called a spiritual body, or a, a body for the spirit, almost is what he was saying. And I think we Christians struggle with the timing of whatever comes after death. When does it come? Unfortunately. <laughs> The last book of our New Testament, Revelation, singular, not plural, please. A lot of people call it Revelations, but it's a singular revelation. It's not really a prophetic book as much as it was a description of the pain that John of Patmos was suffering under Nero at the time. But he does imagine two weird things in that book about life after death. He says, we're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming to us. The new Jerusalem, the new perfect city, the perfect kingdom, we're not being transported to it when we die. It is going to land on us, and we're going to find both the living and the dead in attendance at it. And what he's saying in saying that is those who died a really long time ago are still dead until it comes. And their resurrection comes when kingdom comes. People don't get it, but we have the Lord's Prayer, and they say, thy kingdom, comma, come. And we say that as an imperative, please come, thy kingdom. The reason we pray that, and Jesus taught us to pray that, is so that that day of reunion of the living and the dead happens. And And we sometimes talk of Jesus as the first of the great future resurrection of all the dead. Uh, and that's why Catholics have that space that they they think, we, we sometimes call it limbo, <laughs> right? But uh, they have it as that middle space where people sleep. Okay, they're not in the kingdom of heaven, but we don't want to say that they're in hell. So where are they? They're in in the middle space. And, and then that is sometimes tying back to Sheol, the place of sleep, right? Don't don't put me in that dark place of sleep. Um, That's right. Or death, right? L- let me live um, despite death or beyond death. So I know what your personal answer is, or I think I do. But normative Christianity, if there is you know such a monolith, do you have to be Christian to enter heaven? Mm. In a typical American Christian worldview. They translate um, anyone who has faith, who believes in Christ, has the new life. And their definition of new life 
is life after death or recede into the kingdom. But the Greek that they're messing with there is two little terms, pistis Christu, faith of Christ, not faith in Christ. So for me and for many Reformed theologians and a lot of others, we say anyone who has the faithfulness of Christ applied to them, given to them as a gift of God, is included in the the current and coming kingdom. Therefore, it, it doesn't depend on our beliefs, our faithfulness. It depends on God and God's willingness to be generous by applying Christ's faithfulness to whoever God wishes to apply it to. It keeps me from having to think I have to save myself or I have to save my Jewish friend or I have to save you know, a Mormon. Right, or it's I like to, the, the in and the out. Yeah, I don't have to. Like It's on God to do that. And my trust is that God is doing that and has already done that for all of God's beloved. So, and I, th- yeah, I, I like to think of there may be a hell, but if so, it's empty because God's just too friggin' loving, <laughs> right? To let, oh, that's interesting. To, that's to let anybody go there. Um, so, sure, okay, yeah, there's a hell. Fine, I'll I'll give you that one. It, I'm not going to fight you over that, but nobody's in it. And even in one of our great creeds, we say about Jesus, He descended into hell. And the third day, he rose again. And people don't understand what that saying is. He emptied hell. If there was a hell where dead people died and were stuck, he went there and crashed through those gates and cleaned that place out and brought them all home. So one of the things that I think is interesting in this discussion is the question itself, because whether or not a Jewish person believes in life after death or not, it is not necessarily the a focus of their religious identity. Now, it doesn't mean it's not. And, you know, like many things in Judaism, I could argue both sides. I mean, Maimonides one of the most famous uh, intellectual Jews of all time who, you know, a- anyone who's studied Judaism have, has learned Maimonides, even if they don't know they have. And one of the things he said is, and I may be misquoting, and of course it's not in English, but, but uh, although he tarries, I pray fervently for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, one of our daily prayers that has 18 parts One of the traditional parts is for the praying of the third temple in Jerusalem, which is very, which the idea is very similar to what you just shared in that when the Messiah comes, that third temple, we won't be transported somewhere outside of earth, but in Jerusalem, where the remains of the temple are now, which if anyone's ever been to the Western Wall, the Kotel, that is, it was a retaining wall for the temple, that all of a sudden, and and I use the word magic, not pejoratively, but literally, it will be a miracle of magic. The third temple, poof, is there. And we go back to the sacrificial system and the priestly caste and all of those things. And of course, for a variety of reasons, Reformed Jews aren't necessarily so gung-ho on that, either from a theological standpoint or a kind of practical, what does that mean about how we live Judaism perspective. Um. But nonetheless, even with those, the I think any Jewish person, regardless of their belief, would say that their role in life is to do the commandments in the Torah now. This world, 
with the time they have, with the people that are around them. Um, that's also what I want to believe. And I think this goes to another topic that I, I want to discuss with you is life after death is one of those things where it, to a certain degree, it's, I think we, we easily bleed wish fulfillment into theology. I mean, who doesn't want to be reunited with their loved ones or friends or just live longer, have a longer period to, to do things? You know, I mean, I have a congregate, her and I always joke that, you know, heaven is a library with all the books and all the records. And for me, maybe all the video games, too, and uh, all the music instruments. And you just have all the time to do them. Um, but that's it's hard for me to separate the theology from how badly we yearn for that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm with you on that. And one of the things that makes me angriest about the life after death angle of Christianity is that I see Christians who, okay, they jump through the hoops, right? They're baptized. They go through confirmation. They, they check off the boxes and then they take off, uh, and they never, they never do church community again. They they figure, hey, I got my card punched. I'm good. I I was at my first church for uh, seven eight years, I I guess. And somewhere around my third year, a guy drove up in a truck, and one of the other elders of that church said, hey, come here, I want to introduce you to somebody. He introduced me to the guy who didn't even get out of the truck. He just rolled the window down. And, and I said, hi, I'm Reverend Joel. It's good to meet you. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm a member here. I'm like, I don't know this guy. I've never met him in three years. I don't know this person. And I said, really? I, I, I haven't. When's the last time you came to worship? And he goes, oh, I don't ever come to worship. I was baptized as a teenager. Me and God are good. Right? What he was saying is, right, the only reason I do any of this Jesus stuff is to get me to heaven Someday yeah. when I die. Now, that is not Christianity. That's not how Jesus lived. That's not what he taught. Then there's this second form of Christianity that, okay, I'm good and I'm in and I'm taking care of myself, but now I have to go save everybody else on the planet and teach them how to believe in Jesus, right? And they become missionaries into the into the suburbs. I saw or... that. I saw that musical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And they go to you know, they go to Africa, they go to Asia, right? It's colonialization at its worst. And the the term missionary came from that sense that God's mission upon us was to go and make disciples of everybody. And we interpreted that as go make them believe in me, because believing in me is what will get them to heaven someday. And that's that's not as bad, believe it or not, as the selfish one. The person who does it just for themselves, that is gross. I agree. Right? I totally agree with you. The person who goes, oh, I've got this beautiful thing, and I totally believe it, and I want everybody else to have it. Okay, that's misguided, but at least it's generous. For me, I don't waste time on either one of those. I don't care about either one of those because God's saving who God wants to save, and heaven's going to be what God decides it is. But what I love about it is I think there is a wholeness to it. I think there is a shalom, a peace, a justice, and a love to it. And when we see our world right now, we know it's dying. It doesn't have those things. 
and a new community is coming that does. And maybe we're moving towards it, or maybe it's moving toward us, but there's going to be this great collision of God's kingdom and God's new beloved community, and it's going to land on us. We're, we can't make it get here, right? We can help embody and nudge it towards or maybe accelerate it, but we can't make it get here. God's bringing it. And when it does, wow, right? And I like to think of that coming community as something that does include the living and the dying and the dead. This may be a reason why uh, Judaism is not a proselytizing religion, because we, the, the concept of being saved in that way isn't in a Jewish framework. Certainly, we were saved from Pharaoh in Egypt. God saved us with an outstretched arm uh, and a mighty hand. I mean, that, that's a phrase we use. Uh, but but it, it's, a, it's a place in time. It's not a forever. Right. Yes, I'm with you on that. And one thing, too, about the, this, you use the words God's kingdom. I would use the word not uh, not bringing about the Messiah, but I, I would talk about bringing about a, a messianic age, which theologically is certainly different, but I, it puts the onus on us rather than God. It's like, okay, God, we're waiting. Where's the Messiah? As opposed to, well, what are you doing? And uh, this, I, my congregants laugh about this because I talk about this book all the time and I've never actually read it. But I know I know that the title is enough. I'm going to read it and I've heard wonderful things about it. But <laughs> the title of the book is There Is No Messiah and You're It. As people begin to read Paul's letters, unfortunately, the New Testament jumbles them around, and it confuses which one are Paul's versus which one comes from Paul's disciples versus which ones claim to be Paul's but were written decades later. So uh, we think of them as truly Pauline versus Deutero-Pauline versus not. Um, but if our best research, if we take the original Pauline letters and put them in chronological order, we see Paul go through that in about 20 years or 15 years maybe he starts with woohoo the messiah is here and it's already done and it's happened and we're in the new messianic age right now and then you start to see him go okay y'all the new thingy hasn't really happened yet so we need a plan for how to get along with each other but he's coming tomorrow he'll be here any minute now he promised right he would come back again and before we all died and then he has to write this letter. Okay, a bunch of people are dying. I get it. And Jesus isn't back yet. And you're wondering what happens to them now. Uh, it, here's my new plan. It, to watch Paul struggle, right, with with that sense of he was a Jew, right? So Paul was and Jesus was. So that new messianic age made sense to them. And they spoke about it and they taught about it. But Paul felt it was here at the death and resurrection of the one he knew as Jesus, the one he met as Jesus. What didn't happen in that is it didn't instantly cure all the injustices. It didn't instantly cure all the mourning or all the weeping or all the war. We we were still in that. And a Christian theologian buddy of mine says, well, there's a difference between D-Day and V-Day. Um, D-Day, when when the, all the armies got together and got the beach at Normandy, right, it, it took a lot of death to get the beach at Normandy. But once they got it, that war was over. And everybody knew it, including Hitler, 
Everybody knew this is it. Now, it kept fighting, and a lot more people died between D-Day and V-Day. But And that's where we are. We, um, he would say that we're in between now. And the cross was D-Day. We know the war is over, but we keep fighting, waiting for the final. Interesting. That's a nice parallel. One of my one of the scariest folks to me are Christian Zionists. I don't know if you know about them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> People are often surprised to know that the majority of tourists that go to Israel for, you know, kind of pilgrimage religious experiences are fundamental Christians that, that kind of uh, want to save the Jews. No, they have no interest in saving Jews. None. Well, they say that. <laughs> what they want is they have heard – through prophecies and misinterpretations of scripture. The news. They've heard the good news. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) What they want is for Israel, the state, the nation state, to be in control of enough of the temple space without anybody else having any claim to it so that the new temple can come. That's right. So that Christians can be saved. Oh, yeah, it's a formula. But that's why they love the Jews, because they need the Jews to get the temple to come. But uh, it's it's hard uh, to explain. Well, what they'll say is, we love you. But (laughs) what they don't say is, yeah, but we're walking right over the top of you, right? We're Thank you. We're glad you got control. And now we're stepping on your throat to get to the temple because you don't get to go in because you don't believe in Jesus. It, It is a selfish state. Of mind. For well, it's, a, a it's also a short, a short term. You know, it, it it sounds like a short term alliance with us when in fact it's a long term disaster. If that was to come to pass, which isn't my theology anyway, nor do I think it's yours. <laughs> it's like one of those uh, on on the show Survivor. It's one of those short term treaties you make with a person you're going to um, backstab in a few exactly, episodes. It's exactly what it is. I want to say one thing about uh, Jewish customs with regard to burial, and of course we could talk about you know mourning rituals for uh, its own topic, but it, it plays into this in that in traditional Judaism, uh, Jews are not embalmed, nor are they cremated. Although in more liberal sects that are starting to change, I have congregants who choose to be cremated, and that that's fine with me and my congregation. But I've always thought of the embalming, the, the prohibition against embalming as a way to re, to remember the preciousness of the impermanence of life. We remember people as they were and not, you know, frozen in a moment as we might want them to be or as they not naturally were. Um, and it's hard, especially when someone dies unexpectedly. People want to see their loved ones. I've experienced it. Uh, and it's, you know, ultimately, I'm going to let a family do what they want. I'm not, but um, I very much caution against it, both from a psychological perspective and from, from, from the Jewish perspective. And, you know, Jews don't have open casket funerals. We don't have viewings. I mean, it all is in that same rubric. 
And Presbyterians are in line with you on a lot of that. Now, Christians aren't, but the way Presbyterians practice Christianity, we don't have open casket funerals. We just don't do it. Um, no, it's not about the, that body, right? It's That one's dying. And, and a lot of Christians do not approve of cremation because, oh my gosh, you've got to save the body because when Jesus comes back, that body's going to be raised. Well, Paul talks about a you know, a newish body for the spirit, and we're reminded that God can raise from these stones bodies if God wants to. So for me, burial without embalming or cremation, that's fine. That's just an accelerated ashes to ashes, right? It, the, both, of those, both of those are exactly the same thing. Now, I will say on the other side, because again, we're Jews, there's always three sides to any argument, is uh, there has been a controversy over organ donation in Judaism because of the idea of resurrection. There are corners of the Christian church with that exact same issue. Yeah. And now most uh, rabbis, uh, I mean, this was never really an issue in Reformed Judaism, but most traditionally minded rabbis will allow it now, but it is still something that's talked about. Right. I... There is no purpose for this organ, and if God decides I need that organ someday, God will create a new one for me just like God created the first one. But for now, there is a living, breathing human being who has a shot at at this version of life and could borrow something of mine for a while. Go for it. It's yours, please. I, I don't need it. It's all yours. It's <laughs> um. very well said. <laughs> I don't need it. It's all yours. Well, and even if I did our... need it, Jesus says this thing like, hey, if you have two coats and somebody has none, give them one. I see our dogs are both walking around in the background. Nala and Neville were very good today. They didn't make any weird sounds. Oh, she's not behind me. I saw her at one point. Yeah, she was. she walked around and she... Looked at the camera, and then she turned around and walked out. Yeah, I saw oh, that. Her. Means Emily. Emily left the door open. Tisk tisk. <laughs> and I had to bring Neville to church with me today, so he's he's lying behind me. You might hear a crunch, crunch of a bone from time to time, but he's been good otherwise. Absolutely. Thanks for dreaming about the uh, the future coming kingdom and and death with me today. You said I started dark, and then we spent the whole episode talking about death. I don't know how it gets much darker. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but really life if we yay that's it thank you for joining us on the real religion podcast today where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion i'm reverend joel talbert and on behalf of rabbi eric linder and all the real religion fans out there we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigenpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.